Thanks, Cheeky Monkey Brewery, you ripper. You. Sounds good. I feel like a bit of a cheeky monkey <laughs> after a couple cheeky monkeys. <laughs> well, here we are in the shed quarters. Adzi, how are you, mate? I'm very good. Friday afternoon and styling. Just Happy knocked off work. Friday, mate. So, um, guess what we've got on board today at Barrel Surf Podcast? I don't know. What's happening? Well, you tell me, mate. Okay. Well, uh, weather's been a bit cold and rainy lately. Uh, you know, winter's been dragging in a spring and... What do you like to do uh, in the depths of winter with your feet in front of a fire, Namu? I like to make love in front of the fire and uh, also <laughs> That's excellent. drink a glass of red wine. Ah, well, yeah, so I'm not keen to join you for the lovemaking, but I will join you for a glass of red. And, mates, uh, yeah, I'm excited to say that we've got a new partner on board, uh, a local family-run winery by the name of Forrester, just around the Forrester corner State. here in the Yelling Up Hills. Uh, mate, they are making some absolutely quality and premium wines. Uh, it's their 20th anniversary this year. Congratulations, Forrester. Yeah, mate. And they've brought in a few bottles for us to sip on. And, uh, mate, they go pretty bloody good. Mate, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I used to actually make wine for a living. Yeah, do you? Not anymore, no. but I used to. And, <laughs> I drink uh, it for a living. Does that count for anything? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Now, Forrester's a good drop, and uh, they do good things around the community, and... Uh, Thanks for coming on board, Forrester. Yeah, mate. Looking forward to uh, a few more glasses of wine. And, uh, yeah, they've got a bit of family heritage in the area. Apparently, their grandpa used to have a, a property across the road and he used to whip up what's known as Yelling Up Moonshine. So Yelling maybe we'll moonshine. get a taste of that down the track. But Hopefully. if you're going to reach for a bottle in your local bottle shops, mate, support the winery that supports our podcast and reach for a bottle of Forrester Vino. And tell them Barrel Turf Podcast sent you. Alright, so let's start this. Welcome to Barrel Surf Podcast. We have a very, very special guest all the way from the United States. I believe you're in California. It is Dr. Chad Nelson, the current CEO of the Surf Rider Foundation. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to have a chat with you. Um, obviously, there's some huge, huge news in the last week or two out of California. Um, so I really appreciate your time. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of what's happening at the moment? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a good cautionary tale for Australia. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I guess it's been a little over a week ago on um, Friday or Saturday, October 1st or 2nd, we had this uh, spill. So there's a series of 40-year-old platforms off the coast of Southern California. This one's kind of off Huntington Beach and uh, they have pipelines that run to shore. And it sounds like one of the container ship sitting out of the port of long beach dragged its anchor and cracked that pipe and so somewhere between thirty thousand gallons uh and one hundred and twenty thousand gallons of oil came leaking out of that pipe and kind of you know it's polluted huntington beach newport beach i live in laguna beach south of there our beaches are still closed uh you know it's a nightmare when the oil washes up on the beach it impacts the birds the marine wildlife the wetlands uh and also shuts down the beach for for recreation has an economic impact from the surf shops in the local towns it's, it's a mess yeah yeah and um you know how uh, the little oil balls that sort of wash up in these sort of situations is that is that having an impact as well 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was really bad. Like up in Huntington and Newport Beach, you know, it was, it was, you know, the water was black. Really? And, okay. And the beaches were covered. It was, and down where I live, we've just got hundreds and if not thousands of these little tar balls now washing upon the beach. But, um, but they're, you know, and they're toxic. They, right. they, they have benzene and other nasty chemicals in them. So, um, they're telling us not to touch them, but people are picking them up anyway. You, we're trying to get them, people to wear gloves, but, uh, but yeah, and the, the, the impacts outside of the inconvenience aren't what, you know, we'll, we'll take some time to understand what really is happening. Okay. So how, how long do you expect the beaches to be closed for? You know, they did some water testing up in Huntington Beach and they opened up their beaches this morning. Um, so I'm hopeful that they're going to open them up in the in the coming days uh, mm-hmm. elsewhere. So, you know, it looks like uh, at least from a closure standpoint, we're going to get past that part of it. Yeah. I mean, you must be absolutely filthy having this sort of thing just happening time and time again. It's, it seems to be in the States a fair bit. Um, so Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, there was a big spill up in Santa Barbara in 2015, obviously the huge Gulf spill in 2010. And uh, yeah, as we say, drilling is spilling. Uh, It's just inevitable. I mean, anyone who's done anything in the ocean knows that it's about the toughest environment in the world to like build or maintain anything. And so these kind of accidents seem, despite best efforts, uh, seem almost inevitable, which frankly is why we just should not be drilling in the ocean to begin with. Yeah, it's it's absolute madness. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the Stop Pep Two uh, situation in Australia at the moment. I am. Yep. So for people that are listening, uh, it's Pep Two is Petroleum Exploration Permit Two, or is it 11? Two or 11? 11. Um, Pep 11, Eleven, I think. Yeah. Sorry. One, one. Yeah. Basically, what that is is uh, an exploration permit to uh, drill just off the coast of the east coast of Australia. It's, I think it's between Manly and Newcastle. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this should be a, absolutely a cautionary tale for everyone that's sort of trying to get that across the line. What What are your thoughts on where that is at the moment? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I followed along as Surfrider Australia and Damo really did a great job at, with the Fight the Bite campaign, which was successful. Yep. Uh you know, and obviously a more wild and less developed part of Australia, but still really important. Um, and now with this PEP 11 thing, it's funny. He, you know, he was like, hey, can you go up to Huntington Beach and do a little video just showing the rigs behind you to remind people what this could look like and what we're trying to avoid? And that was before the spill. Right. Uh, you know, just uh, and and so, you know, um, yeah, I mean, for so many reasons, first of all, these things just they leak. It's just true. It happens time and time again, you know, and it's not just the rig, it's the infrastructure, it's the boats. There's actually a big oil spill taking place in the North coast of Japan right now, a tanker crack. Uh, So, you know, where we do this kind of industrial activity, there are accidents. And so, you know, I think, you know, kudos to, to Surfrider Australia and the others fighting the PEP 11 fight, uh, you know, you guys have an incredible coastline. It's so heavily used. And frankly, it's more valuable for tourism and recreation than it is for, for oil. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing that people are perhaps taking too long to realize around the world is that the, these tourism activities are so much more valuable and they and that obviously ongoing. Whereas if you've got the oil spills and so forth, you're 
you're putting a, a lid on on that sort of tourism activity. So, craziness. Um, should that, should put a shout out to Damien Cole and Sean Doherty, uh, who are involved in the Surfrider Foundation Australia for doing some incredible work over the last couple of years. So, um, yep. thanks very much, guys, for helping out with that. Now, Chad, tell us about your story, mate. You've been with Surfrider for 16 years or so, haven't you? Yeah, for even longer, over 20. Over um, 20. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. what what sort of um, sparked a, a thought in your head that you sort of said, well, I need to be involved in this because there's what it, whatever it was, too much going on that you didn't didn't like the look of? Yeah, you know, I grew up in Laguna Beach, uh, a pretty small, you know, used to be quaint beach town and uh, – it was paradise, right? I got to surf and fish and swim. And like any other uh, kid who's lucky enough to to grow up in a, a town, I was a lifeguard. And so I felt like I just was, you know, blessed by living in this like beautiful place with a beautiful ocean and super healthy marine ecosystems, kelp beds and rocky reefs. And, uh, you know, amazing. yeah, it's a great place. And uh, Southern California has been incredibly urbanized and it's grown. <laughs> and, uh, you know what used to be a small sleepy town is now you know at the, in the middle of a giant urban sprawl and the water quality <clears throat> declined we kind of overfished the reefs uh and i just saw kind of this degradation happen at a place that was really pretty special uh, you know and it still is and there's a lot of good stuff happening here but um uh, it really motivated me to say okay I, I learned a lesson as a kid i guess if we don't actually actively take care of these places, uh, we're going to kind of love them to death and uh, run them down. And so, you know, that's what motivated me. My dad was an ocean science educator. So I learned a lot okay. about, uh, you know, marine science and the health. And my brother was kind of a, a lifestyle pro surfer. So, you know, we we're a family just of the ocean and, uh, and I wanted to give back. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was aware of Surfrider when I was a kid and um, it, it just seemed like a great organization and it, it really has been. So I was an, I was an intern. I was a summer, a grad student intern in 1995, a long, long time ago. Uh, got lucky enough to get a job when it was a small organization, kind of like Surfrider Australia today. And, you know, over that 20-year period, it's really grown to become a, a, a more of a powerhouse uh, in protecting our oceans, you know. And hey, uh, all of us who surf then uh, love the beaches and the ocean, you know, have a stake in their well-being. So who better than us to... Uh, advocate for this protection absolutely when i was uh having a look at your bio you said that um margaret mead said never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has which yep. i thought was amazing and it's um seems like surfrider is over in the states is obviously growing hugely and it's growing in australia obviously yeah uh, uh, is the operation in australia expanding or what, what's happening there yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I feel like they're kind of going through this like renaissance and rebirth, which is really exciting to see. I think, uh, you know, uh, Sean Doherty, as you mentioned, has brought in a lot of experienced leadership and uh, he's, you know, incredibly connected to the, the surfing community in Australia. And Damien Cole has brought in this incredible amount of energy uh, and passion. And, uh, you know, now they've, unfortunately, there's a lot of good fights to take on with the fossil mm. fuel industry in Australia, but they're, they're rising to that occasion. And, and, you know, it's, uh, it's encouraging to see their success and uh, the number of people getting involved. And, uh, you know, like that quote says, I, I'm a firm believer that this grassroots model of getting 
locals involved and, and scaling that up is a, is a powerful model to protect our you know, ocean waves and beaches. And so um, that's exactly what they're doing, right? That when they toured the coast on the Fight the Bike campaign and had those incredible paddle outs, they sent a really important signal to, uh, you know, to the country and to the, you know, the company that they weren't welcome there and it worked. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, the, I live in a, in a place called Dunsborough, which is just near, you would have heard of Margaret River. Um, yep. And all up and down the coast, there's probably 30 surf breaks along the coast here. And there was, I think, four or five paddle outs around the place. And it was something everybody was just aware of and everybody got behind. Um, so like you say, surfers, we've, we were invested in, in the ocean and the environment. So we, we need to be taking steps to help out where we can. So it's really good to see. Um, so your journey at Surfrider over 20 years, how did you sort of um, get to the point of being the CEO? Was it just a natural progression that you worked your way up? Yeah, I mean, that was part of it. Um, you know, I started like running the water testing program and then I, I kind of moved up and I started running the science and policy shop. So that was like our experts that kind of help advise on issues Uh whether it was plastic pollution or coastal development or water pollution and all those issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of aspired to run the organization. I felt like I knew it really well. I was connected to the, uh, to the grassroots community and understood the science. And uh, I, what the one thing I did that I think helped make the difference is it was, it was, def- it was definitely a sort of a questionable call. I had four year old twins and I was working as a writer <laughs> And I decided to go back and I went and got my uh, doctorate at UCLA and uh, kind of helped found this concept of surfonomics, the economic values associated with surfing. Uh, and getting that degree kind of put me in a unique place, I think, to, you know, g- gave me an extra like layer of status to get the job. And uh, and so, you know, I applied and I got hired about seven years ago. So in some ways it was a, a progression, but I was taking some steps to try to put myself in a position to take the leadership at the same time. And uh, I have to say, uh, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I'd been at Surfrider for 15 years at that point. And, and I found, it turns out, I thought that I knew the organization cold, but uh, the leadership role is definitely more challenging than I thought. It was I was like, <laughs> wow, this is, a, this is a tough gig. So, yeah. So how old are your kids now? Uh, they're 20. Okay. Great and surfers. Oh, really? There you go. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. They're identical twins. Uh, so, you know, the, nowhere in the world can you tell them apart. There's like a picture of them <laughs> when they're little kids. Uh, but one's a goofy footer and one's a regular foot. Ah. So, you know, they're, they're uh, clones technically, right? They're, they're genetically identical, but one's goofy and one's regular. So I don't, I don't know where that comes from. That's amazing. We, we're, we, um, we had uh, a guest on, on the show last week, Laurie Tanner. I'm sure you're aware of Laurie. Yep. Um, big wave legend and oh, yeah. legend, and uh, just a great bloke. And he was saying that uh, his stepfather uh, grew up surfing uh, natural only because he started goofy, but he was under all the right hand points in New South Wales. So he went, no, nope, no, nope, I'm natural foot. So yeah, I'm not sure about the what the points are like over there, but it's certainly uh, um, something we- that you do. Yeah, I mean it's funny. My brother is like a uh, like a twenty five year boatman in Tavarua, and uh, oh, true. yeah, and uh, he's you know a lot of the Fijian kids down there because it's all lefts. You know they 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 just all switch to become goofy 
regardless uh-huh. because you know if you're only going to surf these two lefts in front of your island why why not exactly unless you want to go net uh backhand um yeah. so talking about surfing so your brother's in fiji a lot of the time is that right he's must yeah. have had a good life over there yeah he he runs a um he's a great surfer he runs a surf camp for kids in newport beach here yeah. in southern california uh, you know, and in uh, in the fall and in the spring, he he does a couple stints on uh, Tavi, uh, and he's been doing that. He's one of these like OG legendary bowmen. I think he's been doing it for twenty plus years. Wow, he must have surfed some some big waves over there. Yeah, I, I, he at one point he, I can't remember. It's probably more now, but at one point he's like, if you add it all up, I've spent like four years on uh, Tavarua. Uh, if you add up all the time. That's a, that's a lot of waves. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So just growing up surfing, you, that was something that you were always around, something you started pretty early yourself? Yeah, you know, I I, I grew up the street from a, a surf spot, still like my favorite surf spot in town in Laguna Beach and uh, walked down there and, you know, this was kind of a little bit before surf camps and learned to surf. I was probably eight or nine years old, borrowed boards from the older kids in the neighborhood and uh, – my brother got really good and dedicated itself. I was always like a solidly <laughs> decent recreational surfer, but yeah. but never anything, you know, good enough to go surf some good waves. But, you know, n- no one was ever looking to put a sticker on my surfboard. But uh, <laughs> but but, uh, but I loved it, and, you know, and I was kind of a science nerd. And, and, you know, that was kind of what I could do is I could mix the, the love of the beach. And I was a lifeguard, too. And uh, so I spent a lot of time in the water, great swimmer. And um, if I could mix the science and the surfing, and that's kind of, you know, why surf rider is sort of my dream job. But yeah, yeah love surfing. Been You know, I've been, I guess, gosh, I've been surfing for over 40 years now. <laughs> okay, uh, there you go. And I still, I'm still surfing three or four days a week. You Beautiful. Know. Yep. So I still love I it. I just had some nice waves yesterday down the coast here. Um, yeah, so it, I mean that's uh, that's the message to everyone, I guess, is we can we can all still surf. So let's let's keep protecting the uh, the environment around us. Um, getting back to Surf Rider Foundation, you, you said that as you sort of progress into the job, you want to see the foundation become more proactive than perhaps reactive. Um, ha, ha, what are some of the strategies that you're putting into place to sort of make that happen? Yeah, no, I think that I, that is true, and I, I'll describe why first. Maybe you know, in uh, in some ways, we were always we were known for fighting off bad projects, right? So like, kind of like this Pep Eleven project, they come along, and you're like, hey, this is a bad thing. We're gonna stop it. We famously fought a big toll road project, highway project that was gonna screw up trestles, one of the better waves in Southern California. Uh, and the problem with that strategy is, you know, every time you win, you just keep things the same. And if you lose, something gets wrecked. So, you know, over time, uh, a defensive strategies, you can't win every time. Uh, yeah. And so it's kind of a losing battle to only be trying to fend off the bad things from happening. Um, and so, you know, getting proactive would be an example of instead of just picking up trash on the beach, let's get rid of these single-use plastics that are polluting the beach, you know. Instead of uh, waiting for oil drilling platforms to be proposed and fighting them, setting up marine protected areas that prevent oil drilling from happening in the first place so you you can fight that battle once and and protect it forever uh you know so you know a little bit of it has been getting more um you know more involved in sort of pro like legislation and and passing laws to try to uh 
try to make things better instead of just waiting for the bad things to happen. So that's been yeah, kind sure. of switch and we become a lot more sort of sophisticated in our our strategy and you know that's come with growth so i i imagine you know if we if we come back and talk in five years time you'll see that uh surfrider australia is kind of advanced in that way too that's my hope anyway um so you know there's a there's a i think a lot of opportunity to try to get in front of these problems and solve them instead of just reacting to the the negatives sure sure um it Obviously, I th- I'm pretty sure that the WSL has their headquarters um, up up the coast a bit from where you are. But they do, yeah. Is there any Santa sort of Monica. interaction? Yeah, is there interaction between you guys and and them to sort of try to work together and um, you know help out in that way? Yeah, there has been. You know, the um, the WSL set up something called WSL Pure, mm. which is sort of their like environmental uh, sort of wing of their their organization and. Um, they we've worked with them they're, they're doing a, a number of different things they're trying to educate their you know the community about you know reducing plastic pollution there's a big movement globally called 30 by 30 to protect 30 percent of the land by 2030 to stave off uh sort of mass extinction and and climate change two two sure. small problems <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and uh and so they've kind of uh they've been advocating for for those efforts at a at a um, at a pretty high level, um, and they're supporting uh, groups. You know, they have a huge megaphone in the surfing community, right? Like everybody's paying attention and listening to them. So they'll just by virtue of sort of highlighting our organizations and encouraging people to join can be really helpful. So they just had the you know the finals were at Trestles right here in our backyard, and you know they were they were featuring some of uh, some of our messaging around saving trestles and um you know highlighting some of the work we've done encouraging people to to join the organization which is which is something too in australia you know they're now um collecting memberships so you can go to their website and join and i you know at surfrider in the u.s it's 25 bucks so i'm like you know hey that's not a big cost <laughs> yeah. to uh to help us out if, if we you know we have fifty thousand members here uh Surfrider Australia had 50,000 members at some point, they'd be really a even more powerful organization. So any idea how many members there are now? What was that? Any idea how many members there are in Australia at the moment? You know, I don't have any idea. Not enough. I'll tell you that there needs to be more. (laughs) Just getting back to Trestles, Chad, what was the situation there? Because I know there was that Save Trestles movement a little while back. Yep. What what was the threat at that point? And how did you about saving it yeah so you know trestles is uh actually like a complex of waves right there's lowers which is the sort of premier wave but there's uppers uh there's a wave called cotton's been you know famous left and then there's church and uh, it goes all the way down to san onofre kind of longboard uh zone and um it's all a state park and uh it's fed by one of the like most last sort of natural healthy streams and rivers in in southern california which is what dumps the sand and cobble out to make those surf spots so good. And uh, there was a proposal to build a private six lane road right down the gut of the watershed. Uh, It would have buried the campground. Uh, It would have, you know, um, altered the water quality and the cobble and the sediment and also really industrialized. It's one of the few places you can still get down to the beach in a pretty urbanized area. And kind of feel like you're back in nature so there's like an aesthetic quality too and it's 
probably one of the most heavily used surf spots in the state. It's the fifth most vet visited the state park. So this road was going to, you know, destroy the park and destroy the water quality and, and really degrade the waves also. Um, it was a big project that was, you know, was on the map already on the, on the roadmap. And, uh, the governor at the time was supporting the project, but, um, the Surfrider foundation, a bunch of partners in the surfing community, you know, rallied. It was just like a very analogous to the fight, the bite. Every time they had a hearing, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people showed up at these things and it just became impossible politically for the, uh, for the folks who were supporting, you know, the permitting agencies to permit the road. And so it was a long fight. Uh, you know, it took us like 10 years, but right. uh, it was a real testament to the power of people. If enough people care and they all show up, you know, there's kind of nothing we can't do. And uh, and so this year, actually, almost 15 years later, we passed a state law to protect no roads and state parks. Uh, so it's kind of a, you know, the final nail in the coffin. But, you know, I it's crazy, right? You guys, I know you have beautiful parks in Australia. Uh, a lot of your coastal places, it's an inspiration. But uh, I always thought, hey, if you had a state park, it was safe forever. Yeah. What, yeah. you can build a road through a park? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a situation just down the road from us um, at a place called Smith's Beach where it's a beautiful, beautiful bay with a, a sort of occasionally okay point wave on the left, uh, a left, left wave on the point rather. And there's developers that just trying to go outside the scope of, of works. And um, we were talking about this the other night. Um, it's basically a developer trying to add just a few more digits to his bank account. There's absolutely no reason for it. They've got enough money. They don't need any more money. Um, yep. And then the community is completely opposed to it, yet they're still trying to get it across. Um, yep. It's going to completely ruin the, the environment. Well, not the environment so much, but just the the outlook of the area and everything else. And yeah. it's, it's just a crazy, greedy thing for people to be doing. And I know that they're doing it worldwide. Yeah, so. you know, it's it, it's true. I mean, people love these places, right? Because they're beautiful and they, you know, they're desirable. But once you degrade it, you kind of never get it back. And so a lot of times you see this, you know, chipping away and chipping away and it's only one project, but then it's another and then it's another. And before you know it, what used to be kind of a wild, scenic place is overbuilt. Um, in Australia, it's, it's kind of a myth, mythical, mystical place just up the coast called Hollister Ranch. Um, oh, yeah. Do you know anything about what's happening there? I do. I do. Uh, so it's a very interesting and complex uh, issue. So Hollis, the history of Hollister Ranch is, uh, you know, the California coast back in the 1800s was actually just a series of these big, huge, multi-hundred acre ranches that were, you know, before the place was developed at all. And, okay. uh, you know, over time, those ranches typically were subdivided into towns and developments, you know, like where I live, it used to be the Irvine Ranch and, you know, there. And so um, in the in the like mid to late 70s, whoever owned that ranch, which was just a cattle ranch, was going to sell it. And uh, there's proposal to develop it, and actually a bunch of, basically a bunch of surfers got together and bought this. I'm trying to think if there's a, I think there's a hundred hundred acre parcels or something like that. So it's somewhere in the ten thousand, uh, fifteen thousand acre, big eight miles of coastline place, and uh, 
these surfers bought it and have kept it private uh, ever since. And it, you know, it's a, it's it's a it's got a handful of pretty really good waves in it. There's a lot of mythology have you surfed up there. I have surfed up there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, the waves are good. I, I've you know I've had friends and other folks invite me in. Um, but the controversy is right. The coasts uh, of California and most places are public. Uh, those waves should be public. Uh, the California passed something called the California Coastal Act that required access to our coastlines uh, up and down the state, which is a really good important law. Uh, and the ranch, Hollister Ranch, was kind of developing right at the same time that plan was. So there's been a lot of controversy, gosh, for the last 40 years as to whether they're required to open it up or not. And um, actually, right now, there a state law passed a couple of years ago that's requiring some kind of access into there, uh, which I think is the right thing to do. Uh, that said, as the California's gotten so crowded, it's also become this like, last kind of wild place yeah uh, along the state and um and so you know i think there's a myself included a lot of mixed feelings on one hand you know i always say to everyone unless you own a, a house on the beach in front of a wave we're all fans of access because otherwise we'd never get to any of these places and i you know australia i know also is a, a country blessed with good access uh you know, imagine if you just couldn't get to any of these waves. Uh, uh, we, we people would just, people would just go through the bush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, on the other hand, I would hate to see this place get overrun uh, because it's so so natural. And, you know, in the United States, we have strong property rights. So uh, I think right now what they're trying to do is figure out uh, a balance between providing access and not having it overrun and overcrowded and, you know, there's a million different perspectives on it. Some people think blast it wide open. That's how it should be. Uh, others are obviously like keep it closed. And there's a lot of people in between because they, I think they, you know, they want to get in there, but they also, you know, if it's just another lowers and there's 80 guys at every wave, <laughs> then the value of getting in there goes away. So yeah, uh, I like the idea of keeping it closed. Actually, it's funny because my, my dad used to talk about the ranch when I was a kid. So it's it's sort of been on the on the radar in Australia as well because it's, yeah, it's uh, a legendary yeah. spot. You know, there's yeah. guys who boat in there, so you know they which is which is uh they I think they're like, hey, it doesn't have to be easy. Let's make this hard. You know, yeah, it's an adventure. There's a there is a sort of uh you know northern Santa Barbara County is uh, has a lot of poor rural communities. You know, so I think there's a desire to make sure that some of the uh, you know, underserved communities and kids in those communities have some access to the beach. And I think that's a reasonable thing to try to accommodate as well uh, and is important to do. So we'll see. It, ha- it is certainly a high controversy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting one. Um, in terms of access to beaches and so forth, one thing that's really sort of taken off in the last few years, especially, is, is the wave pools. Yep. What what are your thoughts on on the wave pools? I know that there's there's talk about Kelly Slater's um, surf ranch just using untold amounts of energy and and so forth. Have you got any sort of thoughts about what's happening around the world with with the surf parks? Yeah, you know it's really interesting. Uh, I I've been to Kelly Slater's surf uh, surf ranch and surf the wave, and it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, and, you know, I haven't been to the other ones like the Waco one or the NSR. And I know there's a bunch popping up in Australia, too. And, you know, I, I, at least I think there's sort of like there's an environmental 
debate about them. And then there's like this cultural debate about them, right? Are they ruining <laughs> surfing or, or, or whatever? And uh, in some ways, I think they're like the rock climbing gym, mm. you know, and it's a good training ground for people. And, uh, and I think they advance their skills. And my guess is that we'll probably see guys doing stuff on natural waves uh, that we would never otherwise see because they can go practice a hundred times on a, yeah. you know, on an artificial wave. Um, so on that level, I think from like a surf culture standpoint, I'm like, I, I think it's probably going to end up being a good thing and advance the sport. Uh, they're fun. I don't think they'll ever, ever uh, replace the experience of being out in a wild ocean. Cause I, you know, I think, I mean, I think some people probably just drive up and surf and leave, but I, I feel a yeah. lot of people actually want to experience nature and, and be connected to the ocean and the wildlife and the scenery and, and everything else going on out there. So I don't, you know, I'll never do that. <laughs> uh, and then from an environmental standpoint, I think there's, you know, there's kind of three areas. There's the energy consumption. You know, I think they're trying to find renewable energy to use at Kelly Slater's pool, but I don't really know, but you know, they uh, move water's heavy. So moving water yeah. around requires a lot of energy. And I think that's a consideration. Uh, you know, all of our waves, natural waves are solar powered. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and then there's, you know, there's a water issue, right? They're using a lot of water, uh, and making sure that that water's available in places where like California, where we have water shortages. Uh, but you know, are they using more water than a golf course? Probably not. Uh, which there, nobody complains about those. And then third, (laughs) it's kind of sighting of them, uh, making sure they're built somewhere that's, uh, not a wetland or not a habitat that's of, of value. So in, you know, mm. in some ways it's a little bit like Disneyland or a theme park. So, or Las Vegas. So, you know, I, I, we haven't really at Surfrider in the U S taken a strong stance on them one way or another for the same reason. I'm not taking a stance on Disneyland or a new golf course in Palm Springs. Um, sure. You know, if, if someone wanted to cite one on like a, a coastal wetland or, <laughs> or something like that we we'd probably f- oppose it but yeah um, sure sure you know it is interesting there's a crazy number of them being proposed around the world yeah. and uh you know uh, it'll it will be interesting to see uh see where it lands i know the folks in surfrider europe who we coordinate with uh they have a slightly uh different approach and they're kind of like it seems wasteful when we've got waves all over the planet to uh to build these things in these parks and there's i think there's some fairness to that uh that uh, that sort of philosophy too yeah absolutely i mean one way to look at it is there's waves everywhere but surfing is becoming so much more popular as well that it's uh it's hard to sort of um i guess go surfing without having the crowds and balance that with well there's a wave pool down the road or whatever it might be so it uh, there's one being proposed in Perth, which is probably going to start next year. I'm actually talking to the guy next week. And, um, yeah, because, I mean, I don't know if you know about Perth, but there's not really any surf there. Yeah. But there's a huge surfing community because three hours south, you've obviously got Mo River. So mm-hmm. having that, we like the idea of having the wave pool because it hopefully means there's fewer people coming down from Perth every every weekend yeah i mean it's hard to know if, it, if that's the case or will it produce twice as many surfers up there exactly you know, yeah i don't know yeah yeah so it's it's an interesting one we'll see we'll see how we go now i know that you've got other things to do so i won't keep you too much longer dr chad nelson ceo of surf Rider foundation thanks for joining us 
Um, what's what's happening in terms of what do you sort of see as you move forward with Surf Rider? What are some of the biggest challenges that you have um, coming up? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think we're we're still fighting plastic pollution, you know, which is a global ocean pollution issue. And, uh, you know, we've been making some headway in getting rid of these single use plastics, but, you know, there's a lot of talk that as the, uh, oil and gas industry moves away from cars, as cars become more electric, because we deal with climate change, they want to produce more plastic. They want to use that fossil fuels for something. So I think our work's still, we've got a lot of work cut out for us to, you know, try to fend off all this wasteful plastic that we're using in society. Uh, and then the another big issue is just climate change and its impact on the coastlines. You know, I know we already have coastal erosion challenges all over the world. And, uh, you know, and, and as we see that the climate warm sea levels is going to rise, which is going to create erosion problems on our coastlines, which, you know, can impact our surfing and, you know, coral reefs are going to be threatened by warming waters too. And uh, all these, world-class surf spots that are you know coral reef based are at threat so yeah you know i think i think surfers really should have a a, a stake in, in addressing climate change because so much of uh the places and things we like to do are are going to be connected to it you know sure. the ocean the ocean's really been sort of uh i think underappreciated in terms of the impacts on climate change so that that's the next big issue and you know sea levels are going to rise at this point no matter what we do so we're trying to work with communities around the around the country to uh start thinking about what the coast is going to look like in 50 years if the seas rise to make sure we don't uh you know lose some of these places we love sure sure um it just seems to me that um a lot of people people around the world are sort of talking about climate change in the future and what what's what's it going to look like and all the rest of it where it's upon us right now right absolutely so, yeah you know i, I I don't know as much about your side of Australia as the East Coast, but I feel like uh, California and the East Coast uh, are kind of living in these parallel worlds where, you know, we have these horrific wildfire seasons uh, followed by these rainy seasons and floods. And, you know, in fact, there's a fire just today right up by Hollister Ranch by Gaviota. Uh, You know, and it's we've had crazy winds for the last couple of days. And so, you know, uh, we're witnessing climate change already with these crazy wildfires we're seeing and then they and then these horrific floods and so i think you're right it's here and uh you know and so if we don't want things to get worse we're gonna have to take some action we've got to yeah we've got to everybody's got to do their bit starting starting yeah yesterday don't isn't it so um now have you guys i guess it's probably a silly question but how has COVID sort of impacted your your organization and um, things, the way that you operate? Yeah, you know, uh, it had a really huge impact and it's obviously lessening. And, you know, it was interesting. We did a, a arguably a much worse job of managing COVID over here than, than you did in Australia. Um, I guess we were good at the vaccine, but pretty much nothing else. But, you know, for us at Surfrider, almost everything we do is about getting people together. So, you know, local chapter meetings, movie nights, testifying at a public hearing at a city council meeting or town hall, uh, you know, having expert speakers come and talk. Everything we do is about getting the community together and uh, or advocating as a community. And, you know, so all of those things had to stop. And like everyone else, we we got on Zoom and, and used all these digital tools, even for the town council meetings and stuff. And 
you know, we were pretty, it was pretty, we were pretty effective at it, but there's, you know, it's just not the same as uh, getting together. So we couldn't do beach cleanup because, uh, you know, it was, yep. we couldn't. And so for, for a solid year or so until this spring, um, you know, we were just struggling to kind of keep the grassroots uh, chapter network and the activists and the volunteers connected so they didn't drift off. And we were pretty successful with that. It's a testimony to how much people care. Sure. You know, and now, uh, you know, we're actually turning the corner on Delta here too. So it's starting to taper off and uh, we're doing okay. more activities. It's great to actually go out and see people on the beach, <laughs> as, you know, as a group. So I feel like we're, you know, at least hopefully, knock on wood, we don't get some other variant out there, but we're yeah. starting to turn the corner. Getting to the right side of things. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're aware of uh, how it's sort of gone over here, but we've had lots of cases over in, in the East Coast and Western Australia hasn't had a case in probably, well, apart from hotel quarantine from overseas arrivals, yeah. hasn't had a case in a few months. So how, how, how is, yeah, it's really good. How, how's California sort of operating? There's still lots of cases daily, but everything's... Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the... We're starting to see cases drop off pretty significantly again, which is great to see. And California sure. is doing actually better than anyone else. Uh, our, I think our vaccination rate is up in the uh, getting close to eighty percent. Um, so we're, I think we're do, we're doing a pretty good job. Other parts of the country aren't doing quite as well, and you know we just did a bad job as a country and, and quarantining and uh, masking and all those other behavioral things that you guys in Australia took so seriously and did a really good job. And it, well, I think it makes a difference, but. I don't know uh, if anyone would say we, we've done a better job than any, anyone else. It certainly has, <laughs> has challenges in Australia. I mean, and it's challenged everyone. And, uh, you know, so I think we're finally getting to some vaccination rate levels that are, if nothing else, are starting to taper things off. So here, Almost everything's open. I went to like a, a pro basketball game, you know, last week. And so, you know, the world's opening up and uh, people are wearing masks inside in a lot of a lot of cases still. Yeah. Uh, so but I feel like we're starting to turn the corner. We'll see. I mean, we're heading. You guys are heading into your summer. We're heading into our winter, you know, which tends yeah. to be worse. So we'll see how sure. that goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 going to be an interesting one over the next few months. I know that a lot of people are. Uh, West, uh, sort of Victoria and New South Wales, I race have just sort of opening up after many months of lockdown. Again, the vaccination rates up to sort of seventy percent um, and opening back up. But it's yeah, it's a obviously a lot of moving parts. It's been a wild. I mean, it's been a wild uh, couple years. It really has. <laughs> I think I think all of us are ready to get back to some sense of normalcy, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Well. Yeah. May, there may not. There may be a new normal. Who knows? So. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chad, so as Australians, uh, Australian surfers, people that use the ocean over here, what can we do to support Surfrider? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, it's really a people-powered organization, right? And uh, and so I think that I think the things you can do is, uh, you know, they're starting to expand their branches in in Surfrider Australia. So if there's one of those near you, you can. Uh, connect with them and volunteer in your local community and, uh, you know, hop on their website and, uh, and join as a member. I think they've got like a monthly donation, you know, you can kick in like five bucks a month. You won't even feel it. And it'll really make a big difference in powering their ability to, to, uh, 
you know, help protect the ocean waves and beaches of Australia, which, you know, I think everybody loves. And so it's a pretty easy way to uh, help make a positive difference. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just getting the uh, surf rider website up here for people to jump onto. Um, now, there's obviously the many chapters in in the states, but and there's a membership. Uh, sorry, the the Australian Surf Rider Foundation. Now it's www.surfrider.org.au. So jump on the website there and have a have a look around. Get involved. We all got to support the ocean environments in Australia and worldwide. So that's the first step for people listening to this. Um, so, Dr. Chad Nelson, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on Barrel Surf Podcast. Um, huge, huge body of work that you guys do over there and they're starting to do over here. So we appreciate everything that you do and um, thank, you. thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Chad. Cheers. Yep. Take care.